Welcome to Action Line, 1038 as we start the show today. Ken Smith in the hot seat for the first time this year. And joining me, Rich Etheridge of the Fire Department and Dan Jager. Rich, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to meet you. And how are you? Good, Ken. Thank you. Nice to meet you all. It's my first week. Bear with me. So um, let's get into the nitty-gritty of the 2022 fire department responses every year you summarize all that for yourselves to look at was it a busy year was it a slow year how'd it go it's been a busy year it was nice having a year without uh, a big covid response so uh, that that was been a, a nice adjustment for us but uh, overall we ended up with about 5100 calls um is that a lot? Uh, it's more. It's about three hundred more than last year. Um, we're we still have rough numbers because we have to go through and validate that we haven't duplicated and double counted anything. But uh, the the final numbers will come out right around fifty one hundred. That's a busy year, though. That's that's a big number. Yeah, absolutely. Our department usually grows about three to eight percent a year, um, and about eighty percent of those calls are medical. Mm. We're getting a little older in Juneau. We are. We're a rapidly aging uh, community. <laughs> and for that reason, I guess we'll see more medical calls. Yeah, and we anticipate that, uh, you know, kind of growing, you know, over the next several years as we don't see any big changes in that uh, demographic happening. So um, medical calls are going to be more and more common. So what about fire? Did we have any tragic uh, fire last year, uh, whether household or uh, structures? Any, any severe? Well, you know, again, <clears throat> just uh, crunching the numbers preliminarily, we had uh, 76 fire responses. And for that, that's vehicle, grass, structures, uh, you name it, where we had to have a response for actually putting out a fire. Um, of that, we had about $2.4 million loss as what we're looking at right now which sounds like a lot, and it is. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, we also look at the amount saved, which is several millions more as far as property and contents go. A lot of times, fire departments are around the nation, they only purport, report the loss, which is a big number, but you got to look at how much was saved. Uh, even though uh, a portion of a home might be destroyed, there's still a portion of it that might not have been. And so we got to crunch those numbers to show what the fire problem actually looked like if there was any trends and if they were what were they was there a certain size homes certain locations uh again demographic population stuff we look at um <clears throat> as always for the last several years we did have some uh, arson fires um and that's been kind of a common thing for several years now it, that's um, surprising to hear you know, a lot of people do get surprised by that. And well, it's a little town, Juno. It is. You know, it's where, a where are these town. arsonists coming from? Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's a little town, but we're just like any other big city. We have all the same problems, just in a different scale. And sometimes it's not magnified the way that it is in other places. So when we say we have arson problems uh, or fires, we did. And it's primarily in the vehicle area. Oh. Uh, we had, you probably were here, and you remember the four vehicles we had out by Mendenhall Auto. Uh, four vehicles were burned. That was an arson case. Uh, we had was that another, last year? <clears throat> yeah, it was last year, last summer. And uh, we had another one on North Douglas that uh, we're in the judicial system right now, getting that work through. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've had arson problems. We've had brush fires. Again, <clears throat> we don't have the, the big raging forest fire problems you see in California on TV, but uh, we still have those problems even though we're in a rainforest. So that's another surprise for people. 
And uh, how does that happen that a rainforest would? I just reported that we had a record rain year last year. Precipitation. It's a wet forest, but it still can burn. It dries out pretty darn quick, though. If you get a couple weeks of uh, consistently warm weather and a, and even a light breeze, those those fine fuels dry out really fast. And and that's what gets most people is uh, their open burns or campfires. It blows into the light grass, and then it, you know the wind kind of pushes that and spreads that up into the brushes. And uh, we don't get the the deep entrenched you know major forest fires, but we do get a lot of grass and brush fires. Yeah, the wind plays a big part of that. Um, you'll see that after a good rainfall, and then it stops. The pavement dries fairly quick. Uh, that wind helps it. So it's it's a combination between the wind, the relative humidity, um, a lot of things that we have here that down south you don't, or vice versa. Um, so <clears throat> even though we're in a rainforest, like we said, the wind has a big part of it. And the temperature. If we have an increase in our temperature, that dries things out a lot faster. A warmer breeze, which lowers the ignition temperature for grasses and uh, fuel sources like that. So, you know, while it's, uh, I guess, a rare thing to have, it is a problem that we have to be aware of every summer when we do open burning and ask people. Um, we're not being overly cautious or paranoid. We're, we're seeing what's happened in the past, and we're telling people, hey, given the weather conditions, uh, this could be a problem, which actually brings up a great thing. We're going to start, hopefully this year, rolling out a um, burn permit app uh, the way we've been doing it for the last several years is people have been able to go online and <clears throat> apply for a burn permit. With this app through the Western Fire Chiefs Association, what you do is you will sign up and it will take your email address, your address, it'll plot it out on a map and all that stuff, which is not for anything specific other than for our use as far as uh, who's applying for permits, you know, the different areas. But the big thing is, is that if there's a trend through the weather service side that is going to be an issue, this app will help alert people that are signed up that, hey, on this day of the week, we're looking at this potential weather condition. There may be some impacts on open burning allowances. So um, there's some other features in there I'm probably forgetting about, but essentially that's what it is. It's a user-friendly one. Um, there's a, a part where instead of... Uh, you know, just saying that you're reading the statement that's online and then you're agreeing to it, you actually take a picture of your open burn and it shows that this is the size and things like that. There's a, a lot of things we're still working on to get it ready to go. Um, but this will help with uh, just the overall fire safety aspect for residents. So what's what's the app name? Um, yeah, I can't remember. I think the it's exact. just Juno Open Burn Permits, but uh, again, it's going to be like a personalized app for the city. Yeah, right. Through the yeah. Western Fire Chiefs Association, they're the ones that are sponsoring it. I guess you could say we have to pay a subscription for it, and it's maintained through that association. So yeah, I bet you this was sparked, not to be, <laughs> by the fires they're having down there. They're afraid we're right. going to do something to get a handle on this and, uh, and stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, and administratively tracking permits is, is usually difficult. And what this this application will do is it'll do a lot of that work for us, and and it helps uh, create a, a better communication path so that you know we communicate out when the hazards are, are high, and if people are having problems with an open burn, they can communicate that back through to us. What did you do before this app? Uh, 
prior to this app, uh, first it started out, everybody's had to come down to the fire station and fill out a form uh, at the station. And then we started uh, moving that uh, form online. Uh, but the problem is, is that everything has to get manually entered in uh, and clerk's office has to, to sort through things. Um, so it's it creates some data, but it's not very user-friendly data. And uh, we have email addresses, but then we have to go through the Outlook program and just individually email folks. And this will communicate to everybody that has an open burn permit at the same time. Hmm. We process about 1,500 open burn permits a year, which is quite a few. Um, so again, the big thing is getting the message out to people if there's a, a need to stop. The other alternative we have is through the radio station here. Um, you guys in the past have done announcements for us. Uh, the Empire, any kind of media source, Facebook, you name it. Um, this is just another tool to help get information out to people and also give them um, more education as far as why a potential might be showing up for a, a burn ban or suspension. Um, there's some other unique features in it that I I don't, I can't think of offhand, but in the next couple months, we'll have that ironed out. We'll start doing some trial runs internally and we'll get it out to the public and have them uh, start using it and see what they think about it as well. When do you expect that? Well, open burning starts May 1st, so I would hope by March, into February, March, and um, start going live with it maybe in April just to get ahead of the open burn permit uh, season process. So that way, if there's any delays, it's not going to be a big problem for people, you know, the first week of May and they can't get permits because there's a glitch. So we want to get that trial run before all that. Well, that's excellent. Beautiful technology helping us. <laughs> Got to love it. So let's uh, talk a little bit about your, is there anything else last year that, that was high on your radar that was a big story or things that you know that you'd like to mention for incidents no it was a pretty normal year for us um you know lots and lots of medical calls and uh one of our biggest contributors especially this time of year is uh people slipping and falling on the ice and uh or not being prepared for the for the weather outdoors Mm -hmm. well yeah slipping and falling there's a lot of ice out there uh, especially right now yeah so going into 2023, you have a bit of a wish list of items you want. Uh, how's personnel looking? There have been shortages in the police department. Are you experiencing that in the fire department? Sure. sure. We have uh, some shortages right now, but uh, not to the extent that the police department's facing them. Uh, we have a couple of paramedic positions that are open. Uh, we do have a recruitment going right now, and we're planning on testing at the end of February. Um, and one of our areas that we usually run short in is uh, paramedics. And so what we've done is we've instituted a, an education program where existing employees can go to paramedic school and the, the department helps uh, pay those fees and supports them while they're, they're going to that program. Uh, paramedics are in super high demand across the country and they're, they're extremely hard to recruit. So uh, who better to, to fill those roles than, than folks here locally uh, provided the opportunity to, to meet those. But uh other than that, I think we've got a couple of positions in our CARES program doing the community health um, uh, and sleep off some of the part-time positions there. And uh, we'll be hiring for our summertime uh, uh, seasonal firefighters. Uh, those positions will probably be opening up uh, about the end of January, 1st of February. How many positions there? Uh, there's four positions there. And they usually come on about mid-April and they stay through the last cruise ships in October. Paramedics, yeah, they're important. How many do you have on staff right now? 
Uh, currently on the ambulances, we have nine paramedics uh, on the ambulances, but then we also have uh, paramedics in other roles throughout the department. So well, overall, I think we have about 15 total paramedics. Is there like a recommended amount per population base? Uh, we, we strive for about a dozen of them. Uh, that way we can have two on duty each day, uh, one downtown, one out in the valley. So are you comfortable where you are at, or is that shortage really straining you? Uh, it, it's a little bit of a strain. Uh, it just requires uh, more people to work overtime shifts. But uh, you know, this time of year, it's not as huge of a deal. But come summertime, when everybody's active and out doing things, it get, gets a little more challenging. How about the general staff, you know, firemen, firewomen? Um, yeah, it, they're, they're all bl- uh, blended together. Uh, everybody's kind of cross-trained. All of our firefighters are EMTs or paramedics, and... Uh, uh, we don't have any dedicated, you know, just EMS personnel. So, um, uh, yeah, we've got a really good blend going. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no need for just any that's it, paramedics, no other need? Uh, paramedics and then seasonal EMTs the seasonal. Uh, this spring. Uh, and then our sleep-off programs looking for some part-time personnel. And those are usually EMT uh, positions. Mm-hmm. All right, excellent. What about equipment? Uh, we've got a few pieces of equipment that are in the design phase right now. Um, we've got an ambulance that's being designed down in Olympia, Washington. Um, we're anticipating having that late this fall. And then we have two fire engines uh, that have started the design process. Um, those are probably at least a year out um, just because of, of the approvals and the design. And, and it takes about 10 months for those to get built. And in the last election, uh, one of the items that were in the sales tax is a ladder truck to replace our uh, final ladder truck that's downtown. So that'll probably be at least a couple years out for delivery. New design for an ambulance? Yeah, uh, each piece of apparatus that we get is is designed for your community. Um, They don't have just cookie cutter uh, ambulances. Uh, It's not like just going down to the Ford dealer and picking something up. you know, every community's got different needs and uh, different staffing levels and um, different safety features because, you know, some departments can afford a ton of safety features and creature comforts where others are looking for a much more basic uh, type ambulance. So each one's built uh, specifically for that department. And that other equipment, that truck, the ladder truck, uh-huh. is that also a specialized vehicle for the type of environment we have here? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much all fire apparatus is uh, designed specifically for the departments. So what's an example of this truck coming out? What's the design feature for Juno that would be, say, different from somewhere else? Um, sure. Um, some of the things, um, uh, you know, around our pump, Fire pumps, you know, we have different casings built around that to insulate them so that when we're parked outside that we don't have to worry about uh, the fire pumps freezing up. Um, And then just like the locations where we store air packs and, um, you know, it's just small things like that. Um, We also have a lot of hills. uh, So our previous fire engines have all been four-wheel drive. And uh, most fire engines you'll find across the country aren't. Uh, So four-wheel drive is usually a very specialized thing. How much do those go for? Uh, The last fire engine we bought was about $850,000. Pretty pricey. Absolutely. I suppose they last a long time. Uh, You get about 20 years of use out of them. You you use the first few years uh, in the busier stations, and then uh, they get kind of cycled down uh, to the slower stations as as they age, so they last longer. Fascinating stuff. It is. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit about backcountry safety and a recent rescue and how we can avoid getting trapped on that glacier, as happened to a gentleman earlier 
or last month ice it's it's dangerous and there are ways to be safe on it we'll talk about that with din jager and chief etheridge on action line welcome back to action line ken smith talking with Chief Etheridge and Dan Jager, uh, the marshal here on the fire department's uh, regularly scheduled action line appearances. We're going to talk a little bit as we wrap up the show about safety out on the glacier. And we had a little response uh, last week for one last month. A man got stuck in the ice. We reported it here, but I didn't really get much on the details. But it did make me want to ask you. What to watch out for as an individual going on the ice, perhaps starting there, maybe you shouldn't be by yourself on the glacier. I think to back up before even that is when you go out and you decide to do any of these excursions, have a plan and communicate that plan with someone else, whether it be a family member, a friend, whoever. Always have another person with you is a strong recommendation, um, but have some sort of a plan. You're going to start at this time at this location. You plan to be back at this time, and if not, what's the contingency after that? Um, I know our special teams folks always say that before you go out, make sure your cell phone is charged up. If you have extra batteries for radios and stuff like that, pack those with you. It's not a lot of extra weight. Take the time to prepare and have yourself a, uh, you know, somewhat of a chance of success if you need to call out for help. Um, you know, the other thing is, is don't, un- don't underestimate what the outdoors may provide for you. And what I mean by that is, um, it may look like a simple day out on the on the water, you know, on the ice out of the glacier. But if something happens, um, there's a distance involved from the parking lot you start at to the trail to if you fall in the water. There's a lot of different things that can happen that are out of our control and, and even, you know, out of our planning realm. So plan for the worst. Come up with some sort of contingency. Communicate that with others. Have a way to call out. Um <clears throat> Pack some extra clothing, uh, dress for the weather, and, you know, just be careful. If you're doing something that in your mind you think is kind of sketchy, might not be safe, go with your gut instinct and don't do it. Uh, mm-hmm. Stop yourself before something happens and, and causes uh, some sort of a, a rescue, which may or may not be able to be handled in a timely manner. So, In scuba diving, you always scuba dive with a buddy. I would think glacier hiking, it's good to have a buddy with you roped up or, you know, for back watching your back absolutely carry some kind of self-rescue because you're going to be in the water for a period of time and if you aren't getting yourself out you're it's going to be 20 30 minutes before the fire department can get there and that's a really long time to be in that that water so you're saying water on the on the glacier yeah on the on the glacier if you break through the ice uh, in front of the glacier and uh, it's at least a half hour to to get somebody to your side with some equipment to, to help you out very good gentlemen thank you we'll talk again great thank Thanks. you And uh, stay tuned. News coming up. Then we'll have the very famous Problem Corner with Wade. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it on Action Line. K-I-N-Y.